Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. I'm Meera Chandan and I'm joined by other colleagues from uh, the FX strategy team, Arindam Sandelia in Singapore and Patrick Locke um, in New York. So there's a lot going on in FX markets. Um, February clearly has been um, a pretty transformational month. Uh, this has been the case for the U.S., uh, where obviously we started the month with a pretty eye-popping labor market report, um, and obviously that was forward by, uh, followed by some um, upward revisions in um, in CPI as well. So clearly a lot of attention on U.S. rate uh, markets that have repriced the Fed, and I think looking at the closes from yesterday, the peak rate is now slightly higher than 535. Um, that's that's around 40, uh, 40 basis points or so higher than the end of January, so pretty substantial repricing. Um, and now we're heading into March. I think that's going to be a pretty important month. So lots of things to focus on. There's obviously the March FOMC meeting, um, but it's not just about the US. It's also about other central banks. Uh, you've got um, other DM central banks, most notably ECB and BOJ as well. And uh, we've got the NPC in China um, in a couple of weeks. So it's it's definitely going to be a complicated um, environment to navigate. So let's get into it by region. Um, Arindam, starting with Asia, um, dollar CNY has now broken 695. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, going forward? Hey, yeah, Mira, so see what's going on with the CNY. Uh, seems like uh, a microcosm of the broader malaise in the China reopening trade. You know, commodity is supposed to be the biggest beneficiary of China reopening. The BCOM index is down 6% uh, YTD. Uh, so we can point to a few things that are wrong with the CNY at this point in time. Uh, one is this rush of foreign equity inflows, uh, uh, because of the reopening um, at the start of the year, that's retreated. Uh, international investors have taken profit after last month's rally. Uh, second, on the bond uh, flow front, uh, December saw an inflow into bonds for the first time in many months. Last year was a big outflow month if you, year, if you recall. What happened in January was a reversal of December. Basically, we've seen a resumption of foreign bond outflows, a high-frequency tracking of uh, retail bond fund flows, uh, which track only a microcosm of the overall uh, bond flow data also suggests that um, that outflow has accelerated this month. Uh, one of the major disappointments for the market is that uh, Chinese corporates sitting on a big hoard of dollars uh, have not sold or not sold in nearly the size that people anticipated, especially seasonally coming into the start of the year when before Lunar New Year, um, the, the seasonal patterns are for these corporates to, to offload uh, you know, a substantial amount of dollars, but that's not happened. Now, all of that makes it seem like the move above 695 has to do a lot with CNY, but actually that's not the case. If you take a step back, uh, a lot of this is dollar-led. Uh, the CNY basket is in a very narrow range around that, that 100 level mark, and that's really a neutral level for the PBOC. So you look at their fixings, the fixings haven't really deviated in any meaningful form or fashion from uh, model estimates. So the PBOC is neutral here, hands off. Uh, it's certainly not capping the move higher in dollar CNY at this point. And... Uh, also, one has to ask, why should they? Because on a range of these uh, you know, fair value regression models of the short term of rate and growth differentials, you, know, you can justify any level between 6, 8, and 7, all right? So um, you know, in short, I think this, this, uh, this mini trend is, is with us to stay, at least till the NPC. And the upcoming NPC in March, you know, one hopes, is a circuit breaker that revives the, the China, uh, China reopening trade and gives China bulls a, a bit more of an anchor to focus on. Thanks, Arandam. And um, of course, there's then the NPC meeting on March 5th, uh, which is getting a fair bit of attention. Um, what are the main things we should be looking at from an FX markets point of view uh, when we're looking at the outcome of uh, of that meeting? Yeah, I mean, I, see, I struggle with this question because, uh, you know, my reading of this is that we're going to know a lot. It's not clear to me that you're going to have 
uh, immediate market impact as a result of that knowledge. So the two key things that the market is focusing on, A, the, the identity of the new government and the cabinet, it's going to be a substantial reshuffle. You're going to have new faces at the helm of many important uh, uh, bodies like uh, the PDOC, the head of the NDRC, the finance minister, and so on. Uh, but from a pure you know, market standpoint, I think they'll be laser focused on the uh, ambitiousness of the growth agenda for this year. The uh, the Central Economic Work Conference in December basically laid out 23 as a year of growth. So we'll see what the growth target is. Um, our ex expectation is that it's going to be something like above 5%, but getting 5% in this sort of a year after the year that China had last year is not really a high bar. So this is probably a floor for growth. Uh, markets will look, look at the fiscal target, which is also expected to be in a fairly narrow range around 3% of GDP. Uh, and this number is important because the, the quantum of fiscal stimulus feeds through to the uh, amount of uh, potentially you know, FX-relevant um, infrastructure spending, commodity demand, etc., uh, that could come through this year. And then I think most importantly, away from the numerical targets, markets are going to be focused on the elaboration of policy around a few key themes like, you know, are there going to be any um, consumption-related supports uh, of the form that's not been declared so far? You know, I don't think uh, consumption support in the form of cash vouchers are that uh, that likely. But uh, could there be you know more support for lower to middle-income households? Uh, could there be more consumer credit and things like housing and new energy cars and so on? So that could give the consumption uh, side of the story a lift, and that could revive uh, you know these equity inflows into China that's powered. CNY strength uh, earlier in the year. And then uh, you know, very importantly for all markets, not just FX, you know, is there anything incremental announced on housing? Um, and after the major policy change in November, uh, at least funding stress for developers has been mitigated to an extent. But does the government go one step further and introduce more demand easing measures to support housing demand? And, uh, and then we'll see if, uh, you know, whether those are, if any, uh, they're, potent, uh, they're potent enough to, to deliver a bit of a housing market lift, and that will once again have you know, decent implications for global demand and what it means for potentially you know, moderate-sensitive effects. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I think the, the impact is most likely to be viewed through the lens of uh, how serious or how ambitious the government is about the growth agenda for 23. Okay, so that's going to be um, definitely um, something to look at as well. But, um, you know, let's let's focus a bit on the U.S. now. Uh, Patrick, you've been uh, away for a couple of weeks. Um, as you're catching up, any interesting themes in G10 um, that catch your eye, which may be differentiated from the environment, um, you know, from, say, a month ago? Yeah, thanks, Vera. Um, you know, in particular, I've kind of noticed the, the increased sensitivity in the G10 space uh, to different rates developments. Um, and you can see that in a couple of different channels. Obviously, like you said, we had the big, uh, the big suite of U.S. data come out, higher U.S. yields. Um, but what I've noticed in particular is that uh, the dollar twi is actually very closely aligned with the level of rates volatility um, right now. And so what's interesting is that throughout last year, uh, the dollar twi actually closely traced the outright level um, of U.S. yields, U.S. real yields. Um, but, you know, basically since November, his screen substantially cheap on that kind of outright yield level metric. Um, but on the other hand, um, against rates volatility, uh, you know, the dollar, the dollar twice has actually been extremely well correlated. Um, and so the recent, the most recent tick up, you know, in the dollar index has been, you know, aligned with that kind of spike in volatility. I think that's important, um, not just obviously because yields are going higher, uh, but, but because the inference I think is that, um, you know, there's now less visibility, less certainty on, on kind of the, uh, the Fed outlook for the rest of this year and, you know, the, 
uncertainty about how the U.S. data is going to continue to perform from here. Um, there seemed to be kind of a general sense of agreement within the market that the disinflation process was in, in train, you know, over the last few months and that, you know, there was a reasonably high conviction that the Fed would pause um, sometime soon, whereas obviously that's been significantly challenged. And so long as that's the case, I think, you know, rates volatility can probably stay a little bit higher um, than the lows that we saw um, earlier this year. And um, if that's the case, then this model would suggest that, you know, the dollar should remain relatively well supported at, around these levels. And then second, on the back of that, um, I would note that it seems like um, nominal relative rate performance is also increasingly important. Um, we have a cross-sectional model that looks at, um, you know, how G10FX performs against relative rates kind of on a time series basis. Um, you know, at times it performs better than others. And certainly last year, um, you know, with uh, with yields increasing across the board, um, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't clear that FX was responding, obviously, to nominal yields just because of the spikes in, um, of inflation all around. Um, whereas now over the last month, it's been clear that, you know, a nominal kind of a reconsideration of policy rates over the near term um, have led to kind of direct impacts um, on the FX, on, on FX markets in G10. Um, and that's about the highest level we've seen, you know, from the last month, um, you know, within the last, you know, four or five years. So um, that kind of correlation with relative rates across the board in G10 on a cross-sectional basis uh, is also much more important. So, you know, between that and between the dollar sensitivity to rates volatility, um, you know, I think that um, that's probably the biggest kind of change for me that we've seen over the last month in our space. That's quite interesting. Um, and I think what's also interesting is uh, is uh, the Canadian developments, because uh, just like the U.S. payrolls as a price to the upside, I think the employment data out of Canada has been um, beating expectations as well. Uh, I think you you mentioned it was two out of the last three months that did pretty well in terms of that report. Um, do you think the uh, narrative for the Canadian dollar here is changing as well? Um, so... You know, we we went underweight CAD in September um, and we kind of layered into that more on the back of the U.S. October CPI print back in early November. Um, you know, for, for some time since last year, we've been noting that, you know, CAD's baited characteristics to the dollar are high. And so it wasn't, wasn't surprised to see CAD underperform with the dollar kind of at the tail end of last year as people continued to extrapolate similarities between the growth and inflation and monetary policy narratives. Uh, between those two countries. Um, you know, so that's performed well, but it's also partially contributed to CAD's recent resilience, um, given, you know, that the strength of the U.S. data has also been read through into Canada. Um, and as you say, we have seen, you know, continued, um, you know, pockets of resilience in Canada that, that, that kind of mirror what we're seeing in the U.S., uh, in, particular, in particular, kind of the labor market tightness that we've seen there. Um, so certainly it seems like, you know, there's a North American phenomena where, um, you know, growth is definitely hanging in better than we had generally expected. Uh, and in particular, I think around, you know, how, how tight the labor markets are. Um, one area that I am kind of watching is that the BOC has kind of already signaled a conditional pause in their rate hiking cycle, where obviously the Fed is a little bit more open-ended at this point. Um, so that's, I think, a little bit of scope of differentiation between, between the two. But, you know, practically speaking, um, the repricing of the U.S. side 
um, has also been met with a pretty significant repricing in the Canadian rate side. So, um, you know, Canadian yields are definitely higher, and that has certainly helped to uh, to underpin CAD's prospects after a very uh, significant uh, fourth quarter underperformance there. So, um, you know, we're definitely keeping keeping an eye on on the momen momentum in Canada and momentum in in North America more generally um, in regards to how how we're uh, deploying CAD. Uh, within our trading strategies. With that, Mira, um, I think I'll turn it around back to you. Interested in your thoughts right now on the broad dollar and kind of what you think are the most, uh, you know, high conviction trading themes, if any, in the G10 space right now. Sure. So um, I think um, I think the observations um, you made around uh, the rate wall and the relative rates divergence within the DM space are going to be an interesting one to look at within DM. And I think in that context, um, you know, if I'm thinking about uh, G10 uh, currencies going into March, uh, you know, it's important to keep in mind that in part, you know, yes, this is going to be spotlight on the Fed uh, alongside the payroll sprint and the CPI print we get before that. And that, you know, for that reason, um, I, th I think it's going to be hard to sort of have any high conviction view on the dollar direction going into that event. But it's important to also recognize that um, you know, March is not just going to be about uh, about the Fed. It's also going to be about the ECB. Uh, and let's not forget ECB, um, you know, European data has also been firmer than expected, both on the activity and the inflation side. Uh, you also are going to have the BOJ, which, you know, obviously uh, is going to be the last meeting uh, before uh, Kuroda passes on the baton. So I think there's going to be a lot going on. And in a sense, um, you know, from a trading uh, sort of uh, themes point of view, it makes sense to kind of go into this key event uh, with uh, powder relatively um, dry um, and sort of ability so that, you know, there is ability to engage in sort of more active risk taking uh, once once we have that key uh, macro information with us. Uh, but in, uh, you know, if I take a step back and look at the broader global view, I think um, it's starting to look a bit uh, more like 2022. Um, you know, we, we're seeing in 23 that inflation has been um, firmer than expected. Labor markets are quite tight. The Fed and central banks most more broadly in DM have been getting repriced. Um, so in many ways, you know, it is feeling, and as a result, you've had dollar strength. Uh, but so in many ways, it's certainly feeling like 2023 is, is turning out to be more like 2022. But, you know, I would caution here that there are two key differences here um, that, you know, that would make um, it a mistake to take um, these developments and say, you know, we're back on the mass massively bullish uh, dollar train from 22. And that's those two important differences um, are firstly that global growth is improving, uh, which is a very big difference from 22, where it was deteriorating, up, you know, across the board uh, outside the U.S. Um, and I think this is a major regime shift. It kind of makes the overall sort of environment, um, a macro environment, uh, sort of a lot more benign than it was in um, in 22. And then the second is the pace of uh, Fed hikes. Um, it's just not going to be the same as it was in um, uh, in the last year. That's because, uh, let's not forget, you know, we, U.S. Real, real, uh, real yields are already highly positive, already in restrictive territory to some extent. And um, and the Fed's done a lot and other central banks have done a lot already uh, aside from the BOJ. So um, to me, you know, we're just not going to get that same sort of rate momentum magnitude as we have had in the past. And that's why. Um, you know, you, it's pretty clear in the price action, you know, you've got front end treasury yields making new cycle highs, but the dollar is still well below those cycle highs. So I do think there, you know, there could be scope for US real yields to head higher. And certainly that's what our rate strategies are pointing out as well. 
but I think they should lead to sort of milder forms of dollar strength than it has um, done in 2022 because of that growth shock. Un un unless you see some sort of a geopolitical risk or another volatility shock or data um, in March that could prompt the Fed to go in 50 basis points. But none of none of that is part of our base case. Uh, but, you know, given all this event risk, I do think risk reward um, in, in overall dollar going into March is actually quite low. Um, and preference is probably to be more focused on sort of relative value trades or, you know, personally, my, my theme continues to be, um, you know, carry the highest yielding currencies uh, tend to be the most resilient as core DM yields go up. And that's certainly what we're seeing right now. You know, nominal measures of carry have been the best performing signals for FX year to date, and they continue to outperform. So to me, I would prioritize carry uh, rather than anything else at the moment. Thanks. And I believe you and your team have written about uh, liquidity in FX markets re recently. I uh, would be interested to hear your conclusions on that. Sure. We've had a few releases um, from the BIS and the central bank surveys um, uh, in the last uh, few months uh, on, on this issue. And then we've got some of our own liquidity metrics as well um, that we've just recently updated. And I would, I would say among, uh, among the things that we've highlighted, the three most important things uh, to note um, I would say firstly um, is on FX volumes. Um, these had surged to a record high last year. Um, you know, it's come off a bit um, uh, later in the year, but still close to record highs. Not really surprising, just given uh, given that um, you know FX markets was front and center, um, and sort of dollar longs were front and center for last year. So um, so definitely not a surprise there. I, I think what's interesting within those volumes is um, that as a center, UK continues to be sort of the dominant. Um, uh, you know, dominant uh, sort of center as far as spot trading volumes are concerned, nearly 50% uh, of volumes go through the UK. Um, and the US share has been declining, whereas you see Asia, you know, uh, you know, countries like Singapore actually have gained market share and, and sort of very close to uh, close to uh, what the US is, both uh, US and Singapore at about 15% overall. Um, I think the other interesting themes within the volumes um, are that um, overall the share of uh, DM, you know, has continued to sort of fall. Uh, you know, if you go back to 2008, for example, um, G10 currencies formed about 90% of overall trading volumes. Those have now fallen uh, pretty substantially. Um, and, um, uh, you know, if you, uh, you know, to, to, to the low, to the low 70s, um, and if you look at uh, sort of dollar domination as a whole, you know, there, there's a very, very big actually um, difference where, you know, the, the dollar domination has kind of, the dollar has retained uh, its share. Dollar pairs have basically, uh, the share of the dollar um, in uh, bilateral trading is uh, basically back to record highs. So uh, even though we are seeing the share of G10 FX as a whole fall, I think it's important to note that the dollar is actually retaining its leadership position. So that's that's on volumes. Um, the second thing to observe, um, I would say, would be on fragmentation of the market. And you know you, that 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 has happened, uh, continuing to occur increasingly. You're seeing that in greater internalization rates. Uh, you're seeing lower interdealer volumes. So people are shifting away from uh, primary venues and shifting away from sort of trading with each other to really the dealers trying to internalize a lot of that share. Um, and, and as a result of that, what we're also seeing is that the market share of the largest dealers has continued to increase. So that increasing fragmentation is something that the BIS has been writing about. And that's certainly uh, you know, an important thing to keep an eye on. 
And the last thing I would say is uh, some metrics of liquidity. I, I think, you know, even though volumes are, are high, I think some metrics of liquidity themselves is actually showing um, that liquidity has deteriorated. And you can see this with bid offer spreads that just kind of remained wide in the post-COVID era, never, you know, never really retraced fully. Uh, similarly, market depth and uh, macro markets like rates, for example, continues to be quite shallow. Um, but, you know, if I look at market based metrics of liquidity, I think those have been better behaved in FX. So we don't really see that many valued valuation dislocations in FX at the moment. So it suggests that, you know, you, you're seeing certainly deteriorating liquidity um, on some metrics, but, uh, you know, not on a full blown basis, as you might as you might have seen, say, in the immediate aftermath of COVID. So overall, um, you know, more volumes um, and shallower liquidity, I think, would be the bottom line here, at least on some metrics. So I'll stop there. Please take a look um, at jpmorganmarkets.com if, if you uh, need uh, more information or want to get in touch. Uh, the communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information including important disclosures, 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. Uh, this episode was recorded on February 24th, 2023.